Hello everyone, and welcome to the Kingdom of God podcast. It is Terrific Tuesday in my microcosm, and it's been a long time since I've done a podcast. Well, uh, I think Friday was the last time I did one, so it's been a few days anyway. And today I don't actually have anything on the agenda specifically to speak about, um, but I have sent a follow-up letter now to my original motion to the court. I did that yesterday. Um, I will probably go over that on a podcast call very soon. Um, but, yeah, um, I had nothing else to report, really. Uh, there was no news. I haven't heard back from the court yet. That's why I sent the follow-up. I figure that's probably obvious, but, um, yeah, so, uh, I sent that off yesterday. I'll be talking about that a little bit in the podcast today, and... Yeah, just some kind of, like, my random thoughts regarding this, because uh, this has been on my mind a lot. Um, I don't actually, you know, I've had some experience with the courts before, and I know that frivolous and vexatious is what they like to go with. Um, I even mentioned that on my blog before I even filed the document, and so I had taken time to research what qualifies as being dismissed under frivolous and vexatious. And, yeah, I did my best to make sure that mine would not qualify. Um, And basically, no claim should qualify if there is... if it's clear that harm has been done and that the other party is liable. If those two things can be clearly established, even if the rest of the claim is a complete mess, uh, the courts have an obligation to send that claimant away, allow them to amend their pleadings so that it's, you know, in compliance with the rules or whatever, and refile. Um, So even if, like, the the context of it is not 100%, um, as long as there's some, you know, a a legal foundation in the claim itself, um, it should never be dismissed as frivolous and vexatious. So, um, anyway, this is just the intro. Um, I think it's going to be a good show, though, because, uh, well, it depends, because this is totally unscripted, so it depends on how much I remember to tell you of all the things that I've been musing on, but, uh, it's, like, super, super hot where I am right now. It was 32 degrees yesterday, it's 32 degrees again now, um, and I'm not even moving, I'm just sitting here in the shade, and I'm sweating, so, uh, it's just not a good day to be inside. I'm not ready to do a blog post yet. I figured I haven't done a podcast in a while. And so, here we are. Um, So yeah, it's going to be a little bit more relaxed than the normal show. Um, But I think also very informative. I I think you're going to be interested in some of the ideas that I have. Not saying necessarily that they're going to work. But I have pretty strong confidence that one of the things I'm going to do is going to work. So, uh, yeah, be talking about all of that right after this. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, so, um, as of yesterday, I had not heard any word back from the court. Um, I decided on Friday that if I hadn't heard back from them by five o'clock on Friday, I was going to work on a letter follow-up letter over the weekend, um, and 
I didn't actually do it until Monday, yesterday. Um, and I think I got it published around 5 sometime, like 5.18 or something. Um, but anyway, uh, I had friends stop by right afterwards. So um, I was going to do a podcast last night to talk about the letter, the follow-up letter that I sent, um, and potentially do a podcast. Yeah, sorry, and a blog post. Um, but... Yeah, I had friends stop by, like, literally five minutes after I finished writing the letter. It took me a little bit of time. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on the letter. It's longer than I wanted it to be, which is typical for me. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I wanted to say in it. And I guess one of the things <clears throat> that I do want to emphasize... ...is that, um, like, for me, this is... This is really serious. Um, again, I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say I could care less that the case got dismissed as frivolous and vexatious. Um, of course that matters to me as well, because it shouldn't, it doesn't qualify. Um, and it legitimately does not qualify. Like, I'm not just saying that because I don't know, you know, and I'm underexperienced or whatever, and, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, he's not a judge, it does so qualify, it doesn't qualify. Um, and I'll get into all the reasons why. Well, I just did. Um, as long as there's a... And I can show it. I have in the arguments and letters that I've presented to the court already. I make it very clear to the court um, where these, you know, uh, laws exist and rights exist and powers of the court or whatever. Um, and I guess that's what I wanted to touch on a little bit today is that, you know, I did talk about it in the beginning, that, you know, it's my, it's my character now that has been defamed again. So I go into court to try and get relief and remedy for charter violations by state actors. And what do I get? A state actor, as, you know, judge, endorsing their right to attack me and she literally does, in her determination, she says that they can address me by that mean that I have no right to tell uh, a government service worker um, how the form or style of my name shall be expressed. I absolutely do. Um, so that's just another nonsense thing that's in there. Um, and this is kind of why I wanted to talk to you guys. Um, because these are the sort of things that, like, I can't state a clear opinion on one way or the other, and, um, by talking about them, I can at least, you know, share my ideas with you and tell you, give you some insight to what's going on inside my head, um, you know, why I do the things that I do, maybe, um, maybe it'll help to give more insight into that, um, because, like, yeah, I can't, I cannot let that document stand on the record without at least advising them that it's fraud. And so I've done that now. And that's the thing that kind of surprises me, too, is that, like, I really was expecting to hear something back from the courts before the end of last week. In fact, I was expecting to hear back from the courts the Friday of the previous week, 
Um, so it's already one full week longer, um, waiting until last Friday. It was one week longer than I anticipated it would take. And the reason for that isn't because, you know, I think I'm super high and mighty, or, I don't know, that, that I have some kind of, like, special privileges in court or anything like that. Um, the reason I believed that it would succeed, uh, well, two, I felt that uh, those emails from the court were a sign. Why would they be sending me emails telling me how to send a motion the day after the case is dismissed? That, to me, whether it was intended that way by the courts or not, you know, is neither here nor there. It may, may from their end, be a coincidence. But in my universe, there are none. So that was the universe telling me to file a motion regardless whether or not those emails were done for that purpose on behalf of the court, if that makes any sense. Um, and so I guess to try and further explain that, for somebody who listens to the universe like I do, um, just reflecting on that aspect of things alone, is that, like, if I hadn't received those two emails, I would never have considered filing another motion. I wouldn't have. Who does? Who considers filing another motion when their claim has been dismissed? Nobody, right? You, it's done. You got to go and appeal, or you got to do whatever, right? Um, the only reason I looked into it was because I got the emails from the court, and when I started to look at the rules of the court, and I realized, well, well yeah, they've violated every single rule. They haven't filed, or, like, defense counsel has not followed one rule of the court yet. Everything she's done has been behind closed doors outside of the rules of civil procedure, and there are unlimited powers, pretty much, for the courts. It, it states, I think the verbiage is, take whatever means necessary in the interest of justice to preserve the matters, the real issues at hand or something. But that's very close. Uh, I know that's not 100% correct, but it's very close. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just, it should never, should never have been dismissed in the first place. They should never have been able to petition the court the way that they have several times. Like, stuff that I've been through doesn't even make for a good example for people because this is not the way things are supposed to work. Like, what's happening to me would not generally happen to anybody else. Like, really, this is beyond bad. Um, and I don't know, and legitimately, I'm, I'm hypothesizing here, and I want you to just try and, you know, brainstorm with me, because one of the hypotheses I have, and legitimately I think this might be valid, is that because I'm low income, and because they know that I'm, you know, taking a subsidy and on Ontario Works, they might just presume that I'm stupid, and that I could never know, and that they can say whatever they want in their determination, because I'm going to be too stupid and incompetent and incapable of being able to do anything about it. Now, you know, just because, like, literally, I can tell you, I wish it was 70, but realistically speaking, it's probably closer to 90% of the people who are homeless right now. Um, are suffering from either addiction or mental health issues badly enough 
but they probably wouldn't be able to advocate for their rights and well not probably definitely wouldn't be able to advocate for their rights as well as I can in a court of law articulate themselves as well as I can in a court of law and this is why for those of you who want to know the real truth um, when I say that I'm like bleeding heart for the homeless and the poor and all that it's like not a joke um, when I was growing up um, I almost felt guilty, if you will, for being smart. Like, you know, whether it was in school, you know, like my best friend and I, he had to work at school. Like, he just did. It was a normal thing for him. And I imagine probably most people do. I literally never did homework. Never. Unless it was like a writing assignment, like something that had to be handed in. But... I mean, as far as studying goes, or like any of that, like if if it was homework and it wasn't going to be graded, I'm not doing it. That simple. <laughs> so, my friend on the other hand would have to do everything. You know what I mean? And that didn't seem fair to me. It's like why? You know, why is it so much harder for my friend? And like he wasn't a stupid guy by any means. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think he was like average B student, maybe um, B's and C's. Uh, but you know passed, I, th I, I think he might have failed one course in his entire life, and if he failed, it's because he just didn't, you know, he didn't put his everything into it. He wouldn't fail anything he put 100% into. It's my best friend, come on. Um, and really, I mean, school smart, he's not, you know, he's not like the top of your class, but in, you know, life and wisdom and just you know philosophical thoughts and he's awesome <laughs> he's a very very good friend um anyway uh what, what started that whole tangent um well, i'm glad i said i was going to be unscripted today because it really is i've got so many things going on in my head um oh yeah i was just talking about the homeless and and how hard it is for those, you know, like, I do like the, the idea of, you know, everybody being able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps so, so, sort of thing. And if you read my blog, you'll know that I believe that anybody can do anything they put their mind to. It's that simple. But that does not mean that there are not a number of people in the world who are seriously disadvantaged in that regard. And... You know, on one hand, people can say, oh, well, you know, like, we all just, you know, we get the hand we're given and we make the best of it. And, you know, everybody's responsible for their own plight. Well, yes and no. Um, you know, yes, we are responsible for our own destiny and, and, you know, what role we end up playing on the world stage. But um, I have a hard time with that idea that you know, those people are there because they didn't work hard enough. Um, when it's entirely possible that a number of those people are very, very talented at something that turns out to not be marketable. So they have to live in these conditions because the governments that pre-existed before they were even here set up a world that wasn't compatible for them? You see, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So, um, I know not everyone believes that, but anyway, the point is, I wanted to state that that's one of my 
that's one of my legitimate philosophies because I've read the determination uh, I don't know four times maybe like not even that much there's not much to read it's like very badly written um, like it, it's not it's not even great sentence structure and stuff like I, I mean you got to consider this coming from a judge so you're expecting you know a particular level of, of competence that's the word I'm going to stick with because we need courts of competent jurisdiction and uh, I basically told the courts that um, her determination is invalid because the courts require constant concurrent inherent jurisdiction um, so what Salie Gomery did not do is she did not um, treat the offenses to my inherent rights as anything. Like, you know, it was as if nothing happened. She, you know, big deal, no big deal. Um, and that is what I would expect if I were still going into the court with the default status that the government gives you. Okay, so the all caps Sean Von Den, that's what they would do. Um, so I thought that was kind of worth pointing out. Um, it still wouldn't be cause to dismiss my claim as frivolous and vexatious. It still would technically be wrong, <laughs> um, because of course the, the citizens do still have those rights, but that is what they do. It's relative to the jurisdiction matter in front of them. And so they would have to, I don't know, I don't know how you go about asking for inherent rights. And this is the, you know, double-edged sword sort of thing, is that if you are going in as a Canadian citizen and you ask for those inherent rights, are you actually entitled to them if you are holding a position of office as a citizen? I'm thinking you're not, legitimately. I think you are not, and I think that's why they just don't care that you mention the, the UNCCPR, the United Nations Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, um, because they are legally binding. And I've mentioned that several times before, but what I haven't mentioned and what I kind of came up with well, came across as I was rewriting my letter, my follow-up letter to the court yesterday, is I just went back and looked at some of the things um, that were on the UNCCPR, like uh, three point, section three, or is it two three? Oh, I think it's section three, one or something is the one that's legally binding up upon Canada, but. Anyway, whichever one it is, um, the article states that all of the articles in the UN Covenant on Civil and Political Rights are binding upon any state that is a party to the Covenant. And what I noticed when I went over it yesterday, like I said, this is a totally random talk. I'm just like mentioning things as I think of them. Um, I noticed that they use the word shall on the UN Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. And 
they use the word person only in section 3.1, the one that is, or I'm pretty sure it is 3.1. But so there's one section of the charter that states 24.1, Canada's you know obligations are legally binding upon you know this part of the the charter. You go to the charter and you find out what that article is. That article just basically states that all of the articles in the covenant are legally binding upon Canada. But it is also the only paragraph that I'm... Well, I shouldn't say the only one because I haven't thoroughly gone through the UN covenant to verify this. But I can say that it's the first instance of the word person in the document that I'm aware of up to that point. In section 1 and 2, the two rights that I want, and I'm asking Canada to honor for me, um, yeah, there's no use of the word person. Um, it's the word people, right? So, you see why, or you might, that might help to understand why I put, um, you know, there's a bunch of kind of random statements that, or seemingly random statements in my statement of claim. I told you I don't do anything without intention. Um, so I defined myself as being a people in that. You know, I just said Sean Von Den is a people. And yes, I am. <laughs> um, but she commented on that. And she commented on the, uh, you know the use of uh, Capitus Diminutia Medius as being uh, obscure legal terms, I believe is, is the phrase that she used, um, and use that as one of the hallmarks, what she calls a hallmark of a frivolous and vexatious lawsuit. So, you know, I think what they have been doing is... Uh, and I know for sure that they are doing this. I don't know what the criteria is, but I do know 100% that they are doing this. Uh, there was an article in the paper in, like, 2014, going way back, well, six, seven years now. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I think if you put anything about the use of the all caps um, or the capitus diminutia medius, um, they try to make it look like you're a crazy person. Um, and they'll tell you, oh, that doesn't mean anything, don't worry about that, blah, 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 and I've mentioned this before. They will do the same thing to you. If, you know, if you're in a criminal case and you say, well, I don't know, I need to see the style of the name on the information before I can say that that's me. And, you know, when they show it to you, if you say, no, that's not the correct style of my name, they're going to say, it doesn't matter. Is that your name? We don't care about the capitalization. They don't, but you do. Trust me on that. Um, and insist on it. Insist on it. Because otherwise, and, you know, don't be afraid to. Um, you know, I would have been once upon a time, so trust me, I, I know how intimidating it is to be in front of judges and justices. But once you've done it a couple of times, you realize that, you know, they're not allowed to break the law any more than anybody else. And if you ask a good question, they better have a good answer. They don't want to look stupid any more than you do. So, um, 
if that situation happened, for example, the one I just talked about where, you know, let's say you get a trespassing ticket or something lame, maybe you get a ticket for not having a mask, let's use that, because we know that's not a criminal offense, but you can get arrested for it probably soon. So, you get arrested, you're on your first appearance, and they're asking you if you're the so-called blah blah blah. Um, this is going a little over the top, and I wouldn't recommend everybody do this, but I call appearances presentations, because you're not appearing, spirits appear, <laughs> people show up. Um, anyway, uh, or, or spirits are summoned and appear. Um, so, uh, yeah, a person or an individual arrives. Um, anyway, uh, present yourself, and then when they say, oh no, um, that doesn't matter, blah, 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 then say, well, then why is it spelled that way? Because it matters to me, it's my name, and if those terms don't mean anything, then there's absolutely no reason that the court should change it to my proper spelling. My proper spelling is my proper name under God. It's important to me. It's a spiritual, sacred belief. I, I need to have that changed on the court of record before I can agree to be that person. Understand, that's a trespass. You know, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I know it sounds weird, but those are my spiritual beliefs. It's a trespass upon God to, to you know, use the Lord's name in vain. And I believe that that is an example of using the Lord's name in vain. He's yelling. You know, we, we use all capital letters when we want to yell at people. I don't want my name to be yelling at the court. Okay, so I'd like it spelled properly. Um, and you can insist on that. Uh, I learned that trick from a very knowledgeable lawyer, practicing lawyer in BC. And uh, he doesn't reveal his true identity ever. Um, he goes by JD, which stands for John Doe, um, and he explains why, because he doesn't want to lose his license as a bar member, but he, uh, you know, he started to find out that a lot of people were getting into this sovereign thing, and as a lawyer, he put up a channel for Canadians, and if I remember, I'll see if I can find a link and put it in with this show, because really, um... It is one of the better things I've ever watched, and, like, it's a gem. Because hardly, like, I haven't met anybody else who's ever seen it before I introduced them to it. And, you know, I think it's only got a couple hundred views or something, I don't know. But anyway, um, he does a lecture on private versus... Um, natural person. That's what it's called. Um, and so, when I tell you that, like, or tell the courts, I, I guess I'm telling you when I tell the courts, but when I say that, like, I fully understand the difference between the living man and the legal entities that are created, I really, really do. Um, and, and that's, it's not really that hard to figure out, but I mean... It is, it's hard to start rethinking how everything works once you understand how that part works. So once you understand that they are different legal entities, 
and that they have different statuses and abilities in the court of law, then things get even more complicated, really, because everything that they have that's working in the courts, it's all de facto, right? It's all fiction. That's what it is. And so, I don't know, be like killing Harry Potter and trying to write another Harry Potter book. You know, how are you going to bring him back from the dead? That would be the very first question that the writer would be asking themselves, right? And that is basically what people are facing when they go into court. And that's why I use that analogy, because it's the same idea. Um, they only have the all-caps titled character. I mean, they use the other one, the Capitus Diminution Media, some of the service... I'd never seen it before, but I saw it for the first time this year. And it was by a service worker for the government. Um, and I'm glad I touched on that, because that was one of the other things I wanted to talk about. Um, and we'll get into that next. But, uh, yeah, um, they only have the one character in the system, and it's created from the live birth record. So every single law that has been set up in the courts for 99.9999% of the people okay what Sally A. Gomery did well, no <laughs> I can't, I like honestly even if I try to give her the best benefit of the doubt possible I can't I can't say that under any circumstance her decision would be correct It's it's the worst decision I've ever seen from a judge ever, like really um, and it's not just because it's an incorrect determination it's because she's demonstrating clear prejudice in her determination she's attacking my character and there is absolutely no place for that in a court, first of all that's not the job of any judge or justice and I'm going in as a plaintiff so how is it that I'm going into a court as a plaintiff, asking for protection of my inherent rights, and, okay, you know, to have it dismissed, that's, that's a bit of a slapdown, but to have it dismissed and have someone completely slander and libel your character with fraudulent statements that are a criminal act of perjury committed by a judge under penalty of perjury. Like, how many people would allow that to stand? I don't think very many. So, I'll get into some of the things that I've started uh, considering since then. Um, but one of the things that I said uh, I wanted to touch on, because I've been thinking about so much stuff, is that, and I have touched on this before, um, but only very briefly and only as a speculation, and I don't like saying the kind of things that I'm going to say right now because I'm really not a paranoid person um, honestly if I was I wouldn't be able to do this at all like I wouldn't I, I mean I would be too worried about what the government is doing what they could do what they might do I don't know you know like I think I think my brother legitimately was more worried 
and nervous and paranoid about what might happen now that his brother's a king <laughs> and going to go into the world telling people that he is. Um, so, you know, that's got to be kind of a hard thing for your brother to hear too, right? Because obviously he's looking across the table thinking his big brother's just completely lost his marbles. And, you know, at the same time, he's having the same, you know, coherent, intelligent conversation he's had with me forever. And I'm just telling him, no, Michael, we're all, you know, we're all kings and queens in our sovereign capacity. We're all sovereign people in Canada. That's what the Constitution says. It's nothing weird. I just, you know, I just happen to own it. Um, and uh, anyway, what I was going to say about the government is that um, I've also started a new post that you might be interested in. Uh, it's going to be a series, and I started it yesterday, but I've got my... I do a... Uh, TV show interpretation thing um, and I'm doing V for Vendetta right now and that's what I do on Tuesdays it's the Tuesday television edition so I'm going to do that later tonight but tomorrow I'll get back to a series that I'm doing on my blog called um, Cold War with Canada question mark and yeah it might be I don't know it's going to be as many as many blog posts long as it needs to be to say everything that I want to say because um, I've just been rehashing in my mind everything that's taken place since I filed that first document with the Attorney General's office and you know 100% like I said the courts know so it's weird that they wouldn't reverse that order right away because I you know it's one thing for people, right? Like, I can understand people making mistakes. I can understand defense counsel making a mistake. I can understand any number of people believing that some of the statements in my claim may be false and, you know, or thinking that I'm a crazy person, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but... I just lost my train of thought. Um, damn. Okay, it'll come back to me. Oh, uh, but just about what the government was doing from the beginning. Um, the first thing that came to me in the mail before I even got my reply from Sean Kearney's office and that was interesting because, like most people, I do want you to know that I was not expecting to get a reply. Most people don't. I mean, you just send it registered mail and you hope for the best, right? So I sent the three offices that I felt were the most appropriate to send. And only one of those offices got back to me. But it was the Ministry of the Attorney General. And that, to me, was a very good thing because the Ministry of the Attorney General is the Minister of Justice for Canada, um, and that is the authority of the courts. So if I'm getting a green light from the court, well, that's pretty big. And, you know, and I'm also getting a letter from Sean Kearney saying that he's not going to give me the $11 million and he's not going to do anything with respect to, like, closing out the accounts and stuff um, because it wasn't a properly issued claim or application. And I suggested that what 
again, I'm still hypothesizing, but I, I stand on these arguments, um, is that he was giving me an acknowledgement that, yes, okay, we see that you are claiming to be a king, and we're going to honor that, but we're not going to do anything for you. You know, you've got the title now. I'm telling you, you want to, you want $11 million? You want to collect on this? You're going to have to file a claim or an application. Again, not the right thing to be doing. <laughs> um, it is customary in our world, unfortunately, but the common law, what we're supposed to be doing if we're acting in honor is resolving disputes so that they don't go to court, right? So that's why I say that his statement and his letter to me is incorrect and inappropriate, despite the fact that it's a blessing from God. It is a blessing, 100%. Um, and, uh, like, that reply was what started the whole social media following for me, because, you know, it does mean something. Like, I mean, technically, we can argue all day that having a registration number is every bit as powerful as having a document that shows the stamp of the Ministry of the Attorney General's Office on it, but because legally they have the same weight, 100%, I'm not disputing that, but walking into court with a little RNCA, you know, whatever, numeric number, on the top of like a document that you are suggesting was received by somebody. I mean, that's just a hassle. It doesn't look very official. And it certainly doesn't suggest that the person that it was sent to gave any acknowledgement or recognition for it, despite the fact that you've got proof of service. So I can show that it's been served, but then I have the whole argument of whether or not that actually means anything, right? And people have had that conversation with me before. Yeah, well, just because it's uh, received doesn't mean it's been accepted. It does, in fact. Um, but it's harder to assert. So you would have to bring in, you know, the registration number, the documents that you filed. You'd have to show that you did that. Um, you'd probably have to call up the record to show them the receipt. Like, it's just a hassle, right? And believe me, they would make you do those... Like, they would. They would make you do that dance because they don't want to make this easy for anybody. So, you know, and the other significant detail about getting that letter back is that it came on April 21, if my memory serves correct. Now, what's strange about that? Well, I sent my letters to the Attorney General's office, I don't know, two or three days into January, okay? Uh, sent registered mail. So it would get there pretty quick, three days maybe, at most, I think two. Um, cost 30 bucks. So if you're paying 30 bucks for something, it gets there pretty quick. Um, Sean, so I sent it out on the 2nd or 3rd of January. The stamp on my SESTA KV to show it has been received by their office reads the 19th of January. So, you know, maybe two weeks it was sitting on somebody's desk before the Attorney General decided to stamp it, acknowledge it, 
Like, they had to do something, right? They had to, you know, they had to call somebody, probably, ask a few people, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have to call anybody. Maybe they just had to look into some books, or I don't know. But, you know, it took, I guess, about two weeks for that to be approved by the Minister of the Attorney General's office. And then they sent it to Sean Kearney. And I know that because of the language of Sean Kearney's letter. Um, he specifically indicates in the first line, um, we have received the enclosed letter and attachment sent to the Ministry of the Attorney General's office, um, and they have been forwarded to me for a response. So, um, and his letter to me is authored on the 21st of April, and I received it, I believe, on the 28th. But I mean, think about that for a minute. It's, you know, the amount of time that it took the Attorney General to, you know, put received on that document is about right. That's about normal processing time for something, you know, maybe a three days to get there, and then in less than two weeks, right, if it's the 19th, let's say it gets there on the 4th or 5th, we'll say the 5th and that way it gives us 14 days left, that's two weeks, right? So that's reasonable. Reasonable that they did whatever they needed to do and said, yeah, okay, and then sent it to Sean Kearney and said, I need you to respond to this guy. Well, then it sat, you got to remember, this this is the same office, it didn't have to be shipped anywhere. They work in the same office. So, from January 19th, it was on Sean Kearney's desk until he finally responded on April 21. Now, I did the math on that, I think it works out to 92 days, or 93 days. Um, It's way too long. Um, It would be way too long in rules of civil procedure. And even though I say that the rules of civil procedure are not law and, you know, not set in stone, I do find, the more that I learn about them, in most cases, they do seem to make sense. Like the serving times and filing times and the kind of things that they want when they're asking you for an affidavit. Like, the forms are a little bit of a pain in the ass, but honestly they're not as much of a pain in the ass as you think they are until you start working on them. It's kind of like just, you know, if you were doing an essay for school and, you know, the teacher was to, was to instead of like, you know, just asking you to write an essay, they give you a form and, and the form says, you know, title, thesis, Introduction, first paragraph, second paragraph, third paragraph, conclusion. You know, and, you know, and it would just be like typed, just like I said it. But that's what the court forms are like, you know, compared to an essay in school. It would be like you would go, if you didn't know how to write an essay, that would tell you. Introduction, title, you know, your thesis, intro, you know, arguments, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it would give you everything that you need to make sure that things are done properly. Um, What's interesting about all of this is that 
the first correspondence that I received from government after sending my SESTA KV was not from the Ministry of the Attorney General. I didn't get that until the 28th, I think, of April, if I remember correctly. Um, and sometime just before that, I got a letter from a social worker that I had in Ontario, or in Guelph, um, and it was addressed to me in the all caps name. Now, what's weird about that is, like, it shouldn't theoretically be that weird for, you know, Ontario Works, but... It is, because before I did all of this stuff, like actually filed the paperwork, um, I had a pretty good relationship with my worker in Guelph, and on the same sort of premise that I've told you here, is that like, I told him that I don't consider myself an, a Canadian citizen, I haven't figured it out yet, I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> um, but you know... To the best of my knowledge, I didn't sign any contracts. You know, I don't think I can be compelled to be a Canadian citizen just because of, you know, my situation of birth. Uh, so, you know, anyway, um, I had never, ever received anything from them in the all capital name except, I think, the actual check. And I didn't care because the check isn't me. <laughs> and it's certainly not going to be used to identify me because it's going to be cash. Um, and I don't care about that. Um, I, I can get around that a million ways to sunset with my knowledge of everything else. Like, even if they were to try and go and get bank records and say, yeah, you've been cashing as, as this all-caps person. Be like, uh, really? No. Uh, the all-caps person that you're defining is dead like a corporate entity it doesn't do anything without me so uh, yeah that that argument doesn't work um, in that situation anyway they can't claim that I'm the dead person because a dead person wouldn't be able to claim anything right so or file anything so um, what else did I want to say so that started me on more thinking because, you know, these public notices that I've put out, they have not been 100% effective. Um, you know, I, I don't have the title deed to my father's land yet. I say yet, because I believe I'm going to. Um, in fact, I know I will, I just don't know how long it'll take. Um, but... very strange things have happened that wouldn't seem strange on their own at the time. But to sit back and look at everything again, it really does seem as though I am in something of a cold war. I know it sounds crazy, but that's the best way that I can think to 
describe what it is. Because I think I'm using the term correctly anyway, like, uh, I don't know, I, I always just presumed that Cold War was a term that was probably coined by the CIA or the FBI or some intelligence group for propaganda um, so that people would hate Russia. It, it, it's all just about, you know, hating Russia. They're the enemy. Um, not so much for Canada, but for the United States, it was a big thing. So I, I honestly think that's what the Cold War was about. It's just like, well, we're not at war with them, but we still want to make them sound like an enemy, so let's call it a Cold War. You know, um, yeah, I know there was some, like, space race and missile, uh, missile race and whatever going on, but I think it was more propaganda than anything else. But I like the term, if I'm using it right, uh, because I think, or at least my understanding of it, I've never looked it up. Um, I've just heard it in conversation. And my, my interpretation of the Cold War is that it's like you're in competition with someone, sort of. You clearly don't like the other individual, but you're not actually at war yet. <laughs> uh, it's close. You're on the brink, maybe, but you're not there yet. And, you know, I think that's what the Cold War situation is, is that, you know, it's, it's a sensitive, um, precarious relationship, and the smallest little triviality could potentially be, you know, a monumental upset. So, the reason I started thinking that is because he addressed me by this all-caps titled character in a letter. That was the other thing that pissed me off. Like, it's one thing if it's just, like, your monthly check that's coming and it's just a name on a stupid check. Um, and, and that's generally how it was back, at the, back in the day. Like, on the form itself, like, because I get a stub as well, it would just say my name in the proper spelling or whatever. But on the check, it used to be in all-caps. Now, nothing from them comes to me in all caps, ever. Ever. Not since that letter. And what did I do? I wrote like a six-page letter of reply to him, told him that I would be charging him $370,000 per offense if he ever did it again, and gave him a copy of all of the documents that I filed with Canada's Attorney General, Minister of Justice, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's what I do. That's what I've been doing everywhere. But... Like I said, you know, it seems like, literally, he looked at me like I was a crazy person. And he's, like, pretty old. So I didn't even really waste time trying to explain any of my philosophies with him because there's a line in The Matrix about cognitive dissonance. When you've been in a certain headspace for a certain amount of time, there's just no point. You know, if I was ever successful in helping him to understand what was going on, um, it would probably psychologically damage him at, you know, somebody approaching retirement. Um, and he really was. Like, he's got to be 60-something. Uh, he's probably retired now. Anyway, um, so to this day, Ontario Works has never addressed me by the all-capital title again. The only thing they do now, and... That was, I think that's been going on forever, really. Um, because I did ask, I think, in Guelph. I think it was in Guelph. Um, 
but yeah, like I said, it says Mr. in front of Sean Von Den, and I said I don't want that there. And I think I was told that they can't take it out, like, they have to put either Mr. or Mrs. or something. So that might have changed, though, because they've got all this non-binary crap going on. Um, so, you know, I might be able to change the prefix or have it removed, um, <laughs> which would be hilarious, because then I would technically be non-binary, even though I, like, don't, I don't know. I actually had a conversation, oh man, this is a different thing, I, I don't want to get off on that topic, but anyway, I, I, another day, I'll probably do a blog post about it, because it's a political issue I have to talk about at some point, but, um, I legitimately thought the whole non-binary thing is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life, um, despite the fact that, like, I believe you should be able to identify however you wish, um, and that's why I think, yeah, and this is how I got to, yeah, okay, so, apparently, that's what non-binary means. It's not about not having a gender, or not identifying with a gender. Um, apparently, now I don't know, this is only one individual, but, um, he identifies as non-binary. She, whatever. <laughs> See, it's even hard to have a conversation. Um, but, yeah, apparently it's about getting rid of the prefix. Like Mr., Mrs., whatever. They don't want any of that. They just want to be their name. And I thought, really? I said, okay, that's actually really cool, because that's what I would like to do, too. <laughs> and that's the funny thing like one of the fraudulent statements that the justice makes in her determination is that um, she's she states as city of Ottawa employees know he prefers to be called or addressed King Sean House of Vanda and Hand of Stephen Kingdom of God and that really really annoys me it does and the reason it annoys me is because I did not do any of this to gain any position of authority over anybody else. I don't, you know, I don't act like I'm better than anybody else. I don't know. Maybe some people think I do here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, the only reason that I was compelled to use that was to distinguish between the name I was given, which should be the status of king, when it's spelled in its proper way, but because when you spell it in its proper way, they don't recognize the difference, as I was explaining earlier in the call. So you're going to give them the lowercase version, you know, how your name is properly spelled, and they're going to put it in their system, and they're going to capitalize all that nonsense, and suddenly you're going into court as a different position of office. That's literally what it is. Um, and you are, by doing so, you're going into that court, and the court's jurisdiction is relative to the subject matter before it. Okay, so, you know, when I say that a king walks into court and becomes the authority of the court, that is 100% true. Um, it's actually on 
the Department of Justice of Canada website uh, under Remedies 24.1. I've shared the link before with podcasts. You might have to read the whole thing to find it, but it is in there somewhere. Um, I've recovered a bevy of information um, from the Department of Justice of Canada website, and I frequently go back to it because there is a lot of stuff there, and I guess what I'm trying to get at today is that I realized that a lot of the stuff that I found there, no one else is going to be looking for. Because nobody else is going to have those rights in the first place. You need to know that, like, you have to claim, you literally have to claim a spiritual life before you can have inherent rights. That's, like, I don't see any other way how you can do it. If somebody else has an answer for me on that, I would be very, very interested. Um, I think the best hope would be to use the artificial person, you know, as the general status that they give us, to prove that that does not change your status or take away any of your rights. But you see, that's the magic that happens is that, you know, and that's why people call it an evil scheme and and a voodoo doll and black magic and whatever, because that's what it is. You get this silly little card, and the second you say that that's who you are, you've waived every single one of your inherent rights, and now you have the rights that are afforded to you by Canada's charter, and this is all contractual stuff, okay? This is all because everything is related to official positions. Um... So the courts, the courts don't do anything arbitrarily. They can only act in accordance with the rules of the court. And so in order for the court to do anything, somebody has to go and look at the rules of the court and find the rules of the court they want to see the court exercise and then file a motion to move them to do so. So... That's how that works. Um, And, yeah. The skinny, because I'm going to have to do another show on this, but, like, I'm sort of ramping up for this uh, Cold War with Canada blog post series I'm going to do because I'm going to get into a lot more detail because there's way... There's so much stuff. Um, But the point is that... I don't think that that email with my meeting in Ontario Works that day um, when he addressed me in all caps which was maybe two or three weeks before I got the reply from the Ministry of the Attorney General. So I still didn't have my you know, received copy of whatever. But I still went into his office and pretended like it had been received, like I did have a copy uh, because I had the registration number or whatever. Um, And what I'm getting at today is that I think every single random letter that I've had like that has been done with intent and has been done to try to entrap me into a new jurisdiction. Okay, so I'm really long on this one, but I am going to touch on that a little bit more before I sign off today. And uh, if I don't do that soon, 
I'm going to get cut off. Uh, so hang right there. I'll be right back. Okay, so um, the point, and there's a lot of points in this one. I told you I was going to be freelancing, so uh, <laughs> this is what you get. But I mean, I'm more disorganized than I usually am today. Just because I've got so much on my mind, I didn't even get into like two-thirds of what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I have all kinds of thoughts going on with uh, the, course, the court file. Um, but everything that I want to talk to you about that is related to everything else that I was just talking about from the beginning. Because it's only now, four and a half years down the road, that I can see, in hindsight, what it was they were doing. And I think that that first letter that came from Sean Kearney's, or not from Sean Kearney's office, from, uh, from Ontario Works, I think the intent to setting up that meeting for me was if I had accepted that mail and not corrected it, not gone back to Ontario Works and said, no, I filed these documents, you can't address me that way anymore. Um, yeah. They would have just continued addressing me in the all caps forever. And... I believe that I know that like I know this sounds far-fetched I really do okay so I want to put that out there as a disclaimer and one of the reasons that I don't talk about this kind of stuff very much is because I know it sounds paranoid <laughs> um, but there's too many coincidences especially now since I've moved to Ottawa um, the letter from Sean Kearney's office came two weeks after that. So I'm wondering if he was sitting with that document on his desk and not knowing how to respond to it and thinking, okay, he's probably not that serious. So let's just let it sit here and see what happens. And, you know, maybe sent a message to Ontario Works to set up an annual meeting with me. I'd never had an annual meeting before. I've never had one since. <laughs> and, like, you know, it was all in the letter like it was standard procedure. You know, once a year you have to come... No, well, I've never had before. And I've never been addressed as an all-capital named person before. Um, and uh, I don't like it. So, um, but I gave him, like, a six-page letter. I didn't place him on notice. Uh, well, I kind of did. I let him know that his actions were, or could be perceived to be criminal in a common law jurisdiction if I were to presume that he understood what that person, or how that person is defined in law in Canada. But, because I presumed that he didn't, I told him that next time it would be X number of dollars. 370000 is what I think I asked for. In fact, I know I asked for it. Um, so, 100000 is nothing, really. Um, and it was effective. That's the point I wanted to make, is that it was effective. And then I moved to Ottawa, and I don't know if I've told this story before. I'm pretty sure I did. 
but I'm just going to tell it as quickly as I can. Um, when I first checked into a shelter here, um, it was the Salvation Army, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, imagine myself as a method actor, as um, an individual who, you know, may have serious mental health issues. Maybe I do, who knows. Um, but regardless, I believe all people have the same rights, are entitled to the same quality of life and dignity. And uh, so I wanted to go and experience it from that perspective. You know, I knew that people were going to basically believe I'm crazy, whether I am or not. And if I just ask questions and, and take all supports that are offered, you know, how long does it take me to get things happening? So as soon as I checked into the Salvation Army, I think it was the next day, they told me that I had to meet with, uh, I don't know, a coordinator or something at the shelter. And their first job <laughs> is, is to get you on social assistance. So I was like, okay, no problem. I knew I was going to have to do that anyway, um, but they have the phone and they have all the resources there, so a whole lot easier just to do it there. And so I was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And they were like, uh, okay, well, you need a, you know, do you have your social insurance number, your driver's license, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I don't use any government-issued ID. And they said, oh, you know, they said, okay, well, you know what, we can pay for all of that for you, and... You're going to have to get those forms before you can get da-da-da-da. And I was like, no. I literally don't use any ID, and I'm not going to. And her name was Krista. I can't remember her last name right now, but... Um, I may not have ever known it, actually. But anyway, uh, she was the manager. She was training Caroline, who was, like, super green. I think she was, like, in her first week when I showed up. I didn't know that at the time, but... So she was shadowing for this person who ended up leaving one week after, like, the next week. Um, so anyway, she tells me that, you know, no, you need all these documents. And I say, no, I really don't, and I'm not going to. And uh, she says, well, then we can't help you. And I said, what do you mean you can't help me? <laughs> and she said, well, you're not, you're not going to get approved without those documents. So when, when you want to come back and, you know, fill out the application forms or whatever, she said, then fine. She said, but, you know, there's no point. She said, you can call, but they're going to tell you you need those documents. And I said, okay, well, let's do that. And <laughs> it's so funny because she's sitting there, like, smug as can be, you know, arms crossed, just, like, looking at me. We've got it on speakerphone. I'm sure I've told this story now. But anyway, it's on speakerphone. And uh, I don't have to wait too long. We get on the phone. I tell her that I, you know, whatever, that I need to transfer benefits from Guelph to Ottawa. And, uh, and she says, okay, um, do you have a social insurance number? You know, like she asked me for the ID. And I said, no, I don't use any of that stuff. Okay. 
Then she asks me if I'm married. I say that's personal, private, confidential information. I don't give that to anybody. Okay. <laughs> and uh, what was the last one? Uh, if it was marriage that I just previously said, then it was uh, it was education that they needed to know. And if it was education that I just said, then it was marriage that I left out before. But anyway, so those were the questions. And I said the same thing. I said, that's my personal private business, none of your business. You don't need it, that information. And when I said that, she asked me if I could hold for a minute. And I said, sure. And she's gone for like five minutes. Maybe not that long, but it felt like five minutes because there's three people in this room and we're all now just listening to elevator music while I'm on hold. And Krista, the supervisor, manager, or whatever, she's feeling very confident now because she's just heard me telling them I'm not giving them anything and now they put me on hold. <laughs> so she thinks she's going to come back and tell me that, you know, too bad, so sad, you're going to need to get those IDs. Um, she comes back on the phone and previously where I'd been told there was like super busy and no, no appointments until sometime late next week, all of a sudden for me there's an appointment the next day at 10.30. Or 1 o'clock if I prefer the afternoon. So they didn't have anything until late the, the following week when I first got on the phone with them. And suddenly they got two openings for the next day. You know, depending on whether I want to go in the morning or the afternoon. And allegedly, and it was great, because she comes back on, she's like, Hi, she said, thank you for holding, I'm so sorry, that was my supervisor on an unrelated ma matter. Yeah, sure, it was on an unrelated matter. <laughs> but anyway, that's what she said. And, uh, yeah, and right after that, she was basically uh, asking me to set up an appointment time. And... Like, seriously, Krista was looking at me like she did not have an explanation. And she literally said that to me. She was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on. She said, but good for you. <laughs> she said, I've been here a long time. I've never, ever seen anybody get benefits without identification. So you proved me wrong. And uh, she said, but, you know, let me know if you actually get them tomorrow. So she was still kind of thinking that I was going to go down there and be turned away. Um, but, of course I wasn't, and I'm not the gloating type, so I didn't go back to let her know. <laughs> I did tell her little lackey, though. Um, well, her lackey would find out anyway. Um, but that was... So that's like a follow-up, right? Um, there was definitely something going on there. Um... And that's just kind of a weird thing. Like, you know, this is, this is Ottawa, man. This is like five-hour drive from the town I came from. So, you know, the second I call their office, they suddenly know who I am. And uh, they're going to be okay with me not giving them any ID and issuing me benefits again the next day. The reason I anticipated that all of these things were happening back then was because of the letter that Sean Kearney gave me. Which I suggested is an acknowledgement of the position of King, you know, in my own sovereign capacity. Um, but if you want anything from us resolved, you're going to have to bring us into court. 
And, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> so, I thought, well, do you really want to lose $11 million? And, you see, I figure he just probably thought I would never actually follow through and go into court. Um, or, I don't know, maybe he thought I would. I, I, I don't know. But my guess is that I think he thought I would never actually follow through and go to court. And, you know, I think he waited to see how I responded to that first letter in Guelph from my caseworker. And when he found out that I was serious, then he sent that and said that if I want to have it resolved, it's going to have to be in court. And, yeah, I... Now, now with all of this stuff going on and the court's not getting back to me, that's the big kicker here. Ladies and gentlemen, there is fraud and perjury, like plain as day, evident. It's not like it's, you know, subtle. It's not like it's maybe fraud or perjury. Like, it's, it's not like it's a gray area. It's completely black and white fraud. It can be seen... You know, just by comparing two documents, that's all that's required, that's all the determination is based on. And there is more than 25 counts of fraud made in the judge's statement. 25. Now, that is including every instance of Von Den, or of Mr. before Von Den, but there's, oh man, I think there might even be as many as 26. I think there might be as many as 26. There's a lot. Um, so, I don't know. It's just... It's just weird. And, you know, fraud and perjury on a court of record, especially by a judge, very, very serious, obviously. Um, and so my follow-up letter yesterday, I'm just going to touch on, you know, more or less the... Uh, Objective, that's the word I want. Um, I don't know if it's going to accomplish, but, you know, I needed... I wasn't just going to wait around forever and let them never get back to me, um, if that's what they decided to do. And, and I'm not going to waste a whole bunch of time finding out that that's what they plan to do. So I basically sent them a letter telling them that I have just motioned the court to dismiss as frivolous and vexatious under rule whatever, 2.01, and that I am not addressing a judge or justice, I am providing this motion to the court, and the court has a duty and an obligation to do what is in the best interest of justice and preserving the matter at hand. So I have now given you all of the power to make a fraudulent and you know, evidence of a judge's perjury on the court of record, disappear, vanish, be gone forever, everything forgotten, and you're not doing it yet? Why? It's like legal suicide. Um, so, I really don't know. Um, I basically told them that in my letter. I'm just like, you know, uh, we've got a judge who's accusing me of believing I'm above the law while she commits perjury and fraud on the court of record. So, 
you know, if you want to think about how that's going to sit, and I basically just let them know that I'm publishing the uh, follow-up letter on my blog, and I said, if, if the fraud and perjury are this clear to me, they're going to be equally clear to the rest of the people in the world who read this, and I'm going to be publishing these letters, these motions, and I am also placing this court on notice of criminal liability. Uh, yeah, criminal uh, liability um, for failing to vacate the order made by Sally A. Gomery, because if the court does not endorse this order, then I know that the courts are no longer acting impartial. They are choosing to favor the city of Ottawa, allow a judge to commit fraud and perjury on the court of record, and allowing defense counsel to do the same. So, let Justice Gomery know that if these charges the order is not vacated, or she rescinds it herself, she's going to be liable to me for two point something million dollars. And I am going to hold her to that. My next uh, goal, if you will, moving forward from this, um, well, the interesting thing is, and I wanted to talk about this too, the no coincidences, right? So, you know, maybe the court's sending me those emails that, you know, clued me in to sending one last motion. Well, you know, maybe, maybe that was just some weird coincidence. And they didn't intend for me to file any more motions after it was dismissed. But the fact that I interpreted it that way, because I don't believe in coincidences in the universe, has resulted in this whole fiasco now where I am able to place the courts on notice of criminal liability. And I would not have thought to do that before. And I'm telling you, this is kind of like, I don't mind that this is a bit of a long call because although I know it's not very cohesive, I am giving you a lot of really, really important information um, once I get it all put together a little bit better. Uh, because what I realized, and I've always known this, but I mean, and I've been saying it to you here as well, that uh, the court jurisdiction is determined by the matter at hand. Well, I went and looked that up again, and that was in my, that case law example was in my first motion to the court, and I included it again the other day, and the reason why, and the, maybe the biggest point to this entire call, is that um, the crazier but other realistic possibility is that there is now too much overwhelming and damning information showing I am King Sean, House of Dan, Hand of Stephen, Kingdom of God, acting as a representative of Her Majesty in my sovereign capacity, that they can't dispute it anymore. They don't have any legal defense. 
And now, I've told you guys, the only place that my documents mean anything is in court. You know, I can go to the court and I can pay my bills. Well, not any bill. I wish I could. <laughs> because it would make my life so much easier. Um, but I can go and I can, you know, if I get a ticket from a police officer, I can go down to the courthouse, I can sign it, hand it over, and it's paid. I don't have to worry about it. Um, and that was like an everyday business transaction. So I've done that um, more than once. And what else have I done? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm my own doctor. <laughs> And, and that's, like, unheard of. Um, I didn't actually realize how unheard of that is. Um, but, yeah, they, they, don't, they don't give medical benefits to people without doctor's approval. Um, but they do to me. So, you know, I think they've been playing a little bit of tug-of-war, maybe? Like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. I think... Um, I mean, I think they knew that I was serious from the beginning when I sent my letters to Sean Kearney's office, but I think there was something of a sentiment like, yeah, okay, try. <laughs> we'll make you king. See how far you go with that. You know, it's one of those things where, like, legitimately, I could give somebody a cystic AV you know, it wouldn't be as effective as they're writing their own, of course, but I mean, hypothetically speaking, I could give somebody the documents that I have in their name and they would do them no good whatsoever because they would not know how to stand on them. They wouldn't know what to do with them. They wouldn't know how to use them. And this is why I say that my sister KV is so valuable as well as important and powerful. Um... I think there's legitimately probably only a handful of people in the world who are truly going to understand how powerful that document is when I produce it in court. And I produced my SESTA KV, the one that was signed by the Ministry of the Attorney General, and my reply from the uh, Registrar General's office clearly stating to me in the email addressed to King Sean, House of Von Danham, to Stephen Kingdom of God, that... Uh, the government of Canada or the Registrar General's office do not register or hold authority of people. So, um, you know, and uh, the judge also went into, like, she made a comment directly about capitalist diminutia uh, media being obscure legal concepts. That's what she said. Obscure legal concepts. Thing is, she is not saying that they're not true. She's saying they're obscure. And that's why I don't want to be addressed by them. So, um, it, that argument sort of works against her. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. Um, Like, the, the downside is, and really, there is a downside. Um, you know, the upside is, like, it's great if they just don't leave me, like, if they'll just leave me alone and 
not cause me harm. But um, for the courts to know that it's true and that the judge just screwed up, um, they might actually not be responding because they might be concerned about what I'm going to do. Like, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea anymore at this point. Um, and a cliffhanger for you, because I do have to go. This is going to be way too long. Um, but, yeah, uh, cliffhanger for you. I am going to... What was I going to do? Well, there's two things. One, I already told you, though, and I'm sure that wasn't it. Uh... Damn. It's the second time on one call. Oh, well. Um... I feel like it was worth it, though. I feel like there was something more I wanted to say. It was going to be worth it. All right, maybe not. Um, so that's my show for today. If I do remember, I'll say it quickly in my uh, outro. Otherwise, thank you very much for being here. Back to say goodnight in just a moment. <laughs>